Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. We want to dive in here, as you can see on the screen, into the book of Romans for the next couple of months. That's the plan. Unless the Lord changes it, that's where we're headed, is to read through and talk about some of the amazing things from this book that God has given to us. We love the scriptures, love the Bible, so thankful that God has given us this book that has come down to us through centuries upon centuries, this book written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and it all works together. Pretty incredible. And the things in there from prophecy to poetry to history to teaching and letters, which is what one of the things we're doing today is diving into one of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. It's just so valuable, and it's, it's light to our path, shows us how to live. We need the Spirit of God, but we need the words of God inspired by the Spirit together to help us know what is right, what is wrong, and the right way to go, what things to throw away, what things to hang on to. And I'm so thankful for that. Otherwise, we would just be lost. And uh, we're not. We have a clear path, and the Lord has brought clarity to all of the main things in life that we need. And as we're walking through this life, if there isn't clarity, then we have the Spirit of God to illuminate things and to show us things that won't contradict His Word, but to help us with the daily direction that we need. So, Lord, we just uh, thank You for the, the gift of the book of Romans, for the gift of Paul, the apostle. Lord, I'm so thankful he said yes to You. Um, it took a supernatural experience for that to happen, but thank You, Lord, for doing that, for His saying yes and all that He did and wrote. Uh, who he was, Lord, and thank you for this book getting passed down to us over these 2,000 years that we get to read it. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us as we read through here and listen to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so little background for this book, letter, really was a letter, you know, chapter breaks that we have in our Bible, word and weren't added into the scriptures until the 1200s, just FYI, So, uh, which is helpful. I like them, having verses and chapters, but it was just a long letter. So the book of Romans is one long letter. That's a long letter, actually, one of the longest in the Bible, uh, to a group of people that were a mixed group of Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And they were together in this church, or several churches, we're not sure, in the city of Rome, uh, fledgling church, and as you know, Rome was the center of power for the Roman government as they were colonizing the world, basically, by force. And um, Paul had met Christians who had lived there and got kicked out of there. And Emperor Claudius kicked out all the Christians and the Jews in the year 49 AD, so all of them had to leave, and that got Priscilla and Aquila to Israel or in Turkey and areas where Paul met them. And so they were sharing with him, I'm sure, what it was like in Rome and the Christians that were there, because Paul had never been to Rome. And even as he writes this letter, he had yet to go to Rome. He'd never been there before. And then in AD 54, five years after that, everyone got kicked out, 
the new emperor, Emperor Nero, he was only 16 at the time when he became emperor, he invited the Christians and the Jews back, although he became absolutely cruel and probably killed both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. But at this point, when he was young, a teenager, he invited them to come back to Rome, so the church gets reestablished there, and that's this church that Paul is writing to in the year probably AD 57 or so. That's what historians think. I'm not sure. And this book, letter that Paul wrote, it is, I mean, when you read it, I know maybe you're not supposed to have favorites, but I have favorites. And Romans chapter 8, which we'll get to here in a few weeks, we're going to try and do two chapters a week, is, I'm going to say, uh, probably my second favorite chapter in the entire Bible. John 15 would be my first, probably. Um, but it is just packed. This book of Romans is like a Bible within a Bible because it shares from some history of the very beginning what Jesus has done for us and then how Christians should live. It's actually called the Manifesto of Christian Living, the book of Romans, because it's packed with how to live as well as theological concepts that help bring clarity to a lot of confusion. And we'll get into that later, particularly related to Jewish law. That's, that's going to be in here as well. And I wanted to just mention too, although this is rarely ever talked about, that and you see it at the end where this letter that Paul wrote, he was in Corinth when he wrote it, which was 600 miles plus from Rome. So there was no U.S. Postal Service then, no email. So he wrote this letter by hand and had to get it there under an empire that was against Christians, and he sent it by someone they didn't think would uh, get exposed or caught, and that was a woman. So Phoebe was the woman that this letter was entrusted to, and she hid it and carried it 600 miles. Again, not only were those not male, there weren't like hotels like we have now. By herself, far as we know, traveling 600 plus miles. That's you walking from here to, what, Chicago or so? Something like that. Lots of stops. If you're doing 20 miles a day, probably 30 overnights just to get there and in danger of robbers and men and all kind of stuff. Phoebe is a hero. She carried this letter to the Roman church. And I can't imagine what it was like when she arrived and she pulls this letter out. Uh, What an encouragement to them. And so let's, uh, well, as we dive into, let me mention that this letter was so impactful, not only to that church right there, but all the way to us. And when you look at throughout history, uh, people like Augustine, when he read this, he was in the middle of battling sin and sexual sin. And when he read this, it was like the lights went on, clarified that he was living wrong. He repented and his, his life got changed. Uh, In the 1500s, when Martin Luther, this monk who was really bound by a lot of law, he was just beating himself up. He didn't understand grace. He didn't understand all that Jesus had done for him. But when he read Romans, it is what changed him. The Spirit used those words, changed him, and the Reformation started from this guy. It was the book of Romans. It has had a profound impact on so many people all the way through. So let's dive in and read some of this. What do you say? 
Let's start with chapter one. We're just going to read verse by verse, and we'll stop here and there and talk about some stuff along the way and get through as much as we can here today. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He's saying, this is who I am. He never met these people before. So he was explaining, this is who I am. This is the calling that God has given to me, and I'm sure they'd heard of him as well. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5 through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. Of course, Paul recognized part of his calling was to the Gentiles, and these are some of the people who were in the, in the room reading this letter. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all who are beloved in, of God in Rome, Called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's his greeting to them. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Not sure what is going on in this fellowship, but whatever is going on, they, their faith is great. And it is being shared and taken, like probably through Priscilla and Aquila and others, and talked about throughout the Christian community in the world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. What an encouragement to them to know that this man is praying for them. Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at least by the will of, excuse me, at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. He is looking forward to being there one day. He longs to, I don't think he says that of any other place in the scriptures where he is longing to be there. He wants to go to Rome. And you find that later, actually, well, earlier when you read the book of Acts, that goes back and tells a little of the story of him getting sent to Rome. He's like, I don't care what's going to happen to me. I'm going to Rome. He wanted to meet these people and to share and encourage them. Okay. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I love that. That's a very well-known verse. He is not ashamed of the gospel. This message of what Jesus has done for us because of the love of the Father sending his son, he's not ashamed of it. It is 
the power of God for salvation. A message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Jews and Greeks alike. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You're going to find here, this is one of the themes throughout the whole letter, is faith and righteousness. Two of those things, um, that's the first time we've read it here, but you're going to hear that over and over and over. As Paul describes faith in God, what that really means, what it doesn't mean, and righteousness, how you obtain righteousness, and how you don't as well. So you're going you're gonna to see that several times throughout. Verse 18, he changes a little bit here in, <clears throat> from his greeting and his desire. And he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. The truth is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So he completely switches gears here and starts talking about the wrath of God. Of course, this is new covenant, not old covenant. But still, there is the wrath of God, the anger of God, and the consequences or the judgment from God that's due to ungodliness and unrighteousness that takes place. God still cares about those things. He's provided a way of escape through Jesus, but if we don't accept it, there still is a judgment. There is a wrath. It's not intended for any person who's received Jesus. The wrath of God, we get to avoid that. But those who don't, I know that there is some teaching in the church. It's false teaching. I just want to call it that. That Since Jesus paid for the sins of everybody, then we can just sin as much as we want because it's already covered. That's not how it works. That's called that hyper-grace movement that talks about that, and that is just an inaccurate. You can see very plainly here, God cares very much about righteousness, godliness, and if we're going to sin purposely, there, there's, there's, there are consequences to that. It says, for God made it evident to them. The reality that God exists has been made evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his God's invisible attributes, his invisible attributes, that's how God choose, chose to do it, to stay invisible as the Father, but his attributes are visible. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So though he has invisible attributes, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That's interesting to me. This clarity that Paul brings to not just Christians, but every person on the planet is without excuse to not believe in God, that he exists through what has been made. And over time, I would say our generation more than any because of what we've learned through science and the telescopes we have and the microscopes that we have to go way down into the micro level and to go way large in the macro level and to see into the universe farther than we've ever seen. It is, it is a, what some have called God's second book, creation. It is constantly speaking and telling of a powerful, invisible God. 
that did all this. So much so that even, I would say, an uneducated person, completely uneducated, can take a look at a tree or a bird flying around, and stars, and the sun that rises every day, and the moon that's there, and go, something happened that everything is perfect. There must be a higher power. There must be a God. God has made that for every single person. Of course, part of our job is to explain who that is and what he's like and to share the gospel, his whole story. But through creation, the complexity of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe is mind-blowing. When you look at the DNA of a person, it's mind-blowing. It's it just beyond belief what is really going on on the inside of this perfectly aligned, created human being, as well as the animals, and how the, the whole universe is not only finely tuned, but in our solar system and in our world, the moon is the perfect distance from the earth, and the sun is the perfect distance from the earth, and the heat's just right, and then this magnetic field, and the ozone layer that protects us, the oxygen level, just the right level. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. You, you really, honestly... Complete honestly, you would have to have much, much greater faith to believe there was no God than there is God. It's very evident all across the spectrum, in any direction that you look, that there's a God. There is a higher power that did all this. To believe that this everything came from nothing and everything was finally perfectly done came from absolute nothing, you have to have some gigantic faith. Gigantic faith. In fact, if you read the book of Job, I was reading that one recently, and it's difficult to hear all of his so-called friends talk and drone on. But at the end, God, when he reveals himself, it's interesting what he does to prove and to show and explain why things are the way that they are. He points to his creation. He says, have you considered this animal? Have you considered that animal? Have you considered this? Have you considered what I made there? He's pointing to his second book, to creation, to show people he's God. He exists, he's real. So even God points to creation when he wants to show us that he's real and what he's like and his invisible attributes, his power. Verse 21, for even though they knew God that he exists, he's talking about people in general, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. There's an intentional mindset of when you see all this evidence, you go, no, I don't want to believe that. So I'm just going to look at this. That intentional going to no. That's what he's talking about here. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Create all these speculations as to how everything happened. And uh, It was this pond scum that just developed and you know, it just mutated and mutated and mutated and mutated and mutated, and here we are, right? It's all these foolish, futile speculations that have no, there's no basis for it at all because we don't understand God, so they've created those ideas. And their foolish heart was darkened. A darkened heart, if something is darkened, if a room is darkened, if we knock the lights down all the way, you can't see where you're going. A darkened heart cannot see clearly to see truth, to see what is real. 
And once you go there, then you just live in that place. But when you acknowledge God, if you acknowledge God, then you also have to say, okay, then he probably, in addition to creating everything perfectly and aligned and finely tuned, he probably has a way for me to live. Well, then there's personal responsibility that I have to acknowledge and I have to live by his ways. And some people will just choose, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say there is no God and I'm going to live this way. And that's just the way it is for some folks. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So having these darkened hearts, says the Lord gave them over in their hearts, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So impure things are going to start taking place because they're not acknowledging him, they're not acknowledging his ways. So then it's all this lust is going to rule and impure really um, almost creating or inventing new ways of doing wrong things start to happen in impure ways so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So he has a kind of a complete thought there. Then he says, for this reason... God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, you look at this, And it's clearly speaking of homosexuality in here. You can't get around that. And, you know, one of the things um, which I'll teach here and share often is that you never form a doctrine from one verse, right? You don't form a doctrine from one verse. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, the sum of thy word is truth. So you never want to form something out of one passage, which some groups have done. We don't want to do that. But the entirety of the Bible shares this same view and the same thought, that homosexuality in particular, in this case, and exactly what he's talking about, has been wrong or not the highest and best of what God designed all the way from Leviticus 19 all the way through Revelation. You see this same thing, and there's several different passages. So it's not... um, Christians being hateful to say that this is wrong. It's God saying, I made a great way to live. And here's the best and highest, and here it is. But if you don't acknowledge me, then your heart's going to get twisted and darkened, and you're going to create new ways of living that I didn't establish. And it's not going to be the best for you. Now, I know people get angry about that. People get angry with me about it. I'm, I'm reading the Bible And it's written, and it is from love. God loves people. It's why he came, because of his great love for us, to pay for our sin and our wrongness and our darkened hearts. So then we can align with him, get washed and cleansed, 
and live the way that he wants us to live, that he created us to live. It's pretty amazing. Now, I know that there are other ways to, Paul explains here, some of the way or a way that people's hearts get darkened and they get off into this, these indecent acts, is that he says. I know there are other things too, you know, some of those indecent acts can perpetuate further sin or harm. And I'm just going to say, you know, the probably over two dozen people that I've talked to who have been involved with homosexuality, when I hear their story, go back to their story, it wasn't necessarily they decided God didn't exist, but they were battling with something on the inside of them. And all of the 24 plus people that I've talked to had been abused. That's not talked about typically, particularly in the world, but the indecent acts happened to them and it twisted what was going on inside of them. And the enemy takes advantage. The enemy takes advantage. So they are wonderful people who are hurting and don't maybe know exactly how to feel or the right feeling. And Jesus has paid the price for our freedom. So he can realign and bring health and wholeness to those feelings and those emotions and help them live the way that God wants to live. It has nothing to do with hate, zero. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He has paid the price, gave his own life, gave everything so that we could be free, so that we could be healed, so that we could be made whole, so that our minds could think the way that he wants them to think and that we can live the way that he wants us to live. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. And then he begins to list some of the things that happen with a depraved mind. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, which was an Old Testament command, they not only do those things, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They're celebrating the wrongs. They're celebrating the things that are being done that God says are not good, and there's wrath that will come on, there's judgment that comes on on the other side of that. People celebrate that. I know I would not plan to speak this with um, this being Pride Month and what happened in our city yesterday with this huge celebration of this. That was, I didn't plan all that. Just happened to be what we plan on talking about Romans and here we are. But basically that celebration is giving hearty approval to things that aren't the highest and best that God has given to us. Man, I love those people. And my family members, more than one, who have been caught in these deceptions, wounded internally, and boy, I, I, I just, I love those people and I want God to help them. I so want them to be free. They're not free and they're not enjoying life the way that God made it. God's heart is for our freedom and for a wholeness and joy. Chapter 2. Of course, there would not normally be a chapter break here in Paul's letter, but we we get one, and it does start a different thought here. Verse 1, therefore, after everything he just said, then he switches the, the audience here, in a sense. 
You have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you judge, for you who judge, practice the same thing. So after Paul describes some elements, not all, of sexual immorality and sin, he then says now to the believers in Rome, don't be judgmental of those who are doing those things, especially if you are doing the same things yourself in secret. One of the things that the Lord does not tolerate and really doesn't like are hypocrites that are judging people and in secret doing the same thing. I remember when I was a teenager watching on television a Christian evangelist blasting Jim Baker on television, if you remember Jim Baker's story blasting him for his sexual immorality. And it wasn't maybe two months, three months later, that very same person gets exposed for doing the same thing. So if you're going to, it's, Paul is not saying everything that I've just said now isn't true. No, he's saying, yes, it's all true. But for you as believers, followers of Jesus, let's not judge other people when we're dealing with the very same things ourselves. And part of judgment is saying, if that were me, I would not do that thing. That's part, that's part of judgment. The truth is, if I were that person, I would be doing what they're doing. I am no better than anybody. No one in here, no one in Rome is better than anybody else. It's by the grace of God and his wonderful power and love that has helped me to live and to walk and to be free today, right? And we have to recognize that. I could be I could do the worst sin. I am capable of doing the worst sin of anything on the earth. Everybody is, right? But for Jesus and his spirit, and then us saying yes to him and him helping us through life and all of these things that we encounter and are faced with. So there's not a nullification of the first chapter, but he does say we want to make sure that we're not judging people. It's not saying that we don't say speak truth. But we're not judging them, saying we're better than them with this um, heart or mindset of superiority. And we know, verse 2, that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you dispose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? There's no secret pass here if we're doing the very things that we're judging other people for. So that's the point he's making here. Verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Those are great attributes of God. His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that's led everyone in here to repentance. His kindness, when we see how good he is and how loving he is, then we're convicted. It's not that his wrath leads us to repentance. It's that his kindness does. The kindness of God. Verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Again, he's speaking of those who are judging others, but they're doing those things themselves. You're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Again, we are personally responsible for our own behavior, actions, activity, faith, how we treat other people. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, they get eternal life. 
But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there's wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress, verse 9, for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. He's going to treat everybody the same. Everyone gets the same treatment from the perfect judge. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Again, we'll say that often around here. Information doesn't cut it. It's great to have information, but it's our activity and our action. What do we do with what we've learned? What do we, are we applying the things that God has said to us? Just having knowledge, what the Bible says, it puffs a person up into pride. But it's those who are the doers of the law. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law of themselves, to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or also defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So everyone God has given a conscience to separate from the law. So people who have never heard the gospel, who've never heard about what is right and wrong, there is a conscience that God gives them, and they know when they shouldn't be doing something like hitting someone, stealing from someone, abusing someone. They know on the inside, this is not right. God has wired in the DNA of me that I should not be doing these things. So in, in the perfect judge, thankfully, Jesus knows all those things, thoughts and intents of the heart and our actions. And so we will be judged in a right way. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things which are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the mature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You, therefore, who teach another, Paul asks them the question, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as is written. Again, he's speaking clearly to hypocritical living. He wants us to live in an authentic fashion, speaking truth with love, but making sure that our lives are aligned up with God when no one is watching. Verse 25, for indeed circumcision is a value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if this uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision or in the Jewish faith, righteousness, basically, because they saw that as a part of being a righteous, aligning with the, the tribe of Israel and aligning with God if you're circumcised. Paul's saying your righteousness is not found in that external thing. Verse 27, and he who is physically 
uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Wow, those are a lot of words. By the way, Paul is grandmaster of run-on sentences. I don't know if you noticed that. He just, he, he just really is. Wow, for the English teachers in here, you're going, oh my goodness. Anyway, you have to take that up with Paul in heaven later on. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. That's interesting. According to the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done, this mediator of a brand new covenant, he's made one new man, it says, so that spiritually you're a Jew. By believing in Jesus, you get to, you are grafted in, as the Bible says, into this inheritance of the Jews that they had from the beginning by faith. That's an incredible thing. And circumcision is that of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. We cannot work out things, do things externally to repair and fix internal things that are going on on the inside. Jesus does that. And even certain sins, people are hurting, and so they will get involved with things, whether it's drugs or immorality of every kind, to try and feel something, to repair something. And it, doesn't, it never happens. It can't because it's a spiritual thing. Only God can heal that space heal that place, bring satisfaction and joy and rest and whatever we can't mutilate our bodies to feel better. It just, it doesn't work that way. It's only God that does that by his spirit. Again, these are the words of Paul to the Roman church. There are so many different directions we could go from here and talk about and establish these different things. We're not going to do that at this time. We're just going to keep pressing through uh, through this book for the next couple of months. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for this, again, this book, this letter, these words, your clarity that you bring, Lord, through Paul. Lord, I ask that you would help us to, just as if we were those in the Roman church, Lord, help us to not be judgmental. And in addition, Lord, I pray that we all would live by the Spirit convicted by your spirit, Lord, making things right relationally with people if we've done wrong, living the same in the light as we do in the darkness when we're by ourselves, when we're alone, when no one sees. Lord, I pray that we would be people of authenticity, that we would live in your light all the time, not for someone else, but for you. Lord, and I pray, Lord, forgive us in any and every way where we've judged and we've been doing the same. I pray that, Lord, any and every time I've ever done that, please forgive me. We want nothing to do with that. Help us, Lord, to walk in your light and in your love and give your love away. Thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, may your kindness flow through us in this world that is hurting and desperate and in needy. Let your kindness flow through us. To them. May they sense and feel and know that you are real and that you are love and you are the restorer and the redeemer of their lives. 
We love you, Jesus. I bless these here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.